<laughs> Making the world a better place, <laughs> one show at a time. The George Wilder Jr. Show is now. The George Wilder Jr. Show is now on the air. <laughs> All right. Chicago's finest internet radio show, making a world a better place, one show at a time. The George Water Jr. Show is now on the air. Take it away, Dad. All right, I want to thank you, uh, Denver, for that. That was great, as, as always. Welcome to the George Water Jr. Show on Block Talk Radio. Uh, Live out of the city of Chicago. If I can get this thing here straight, see, can I adjust it a little bit? Okay, maybe that's a little bit better. Okay, it's it's. Uh, I hope wherever you are in the world that everything's fine, everything is okay. Um, um, that's not uh, to be said for a lot of the countries around the world, especially Syria and countries like that. That. Uh, the U.S. may, I don't know, uh, do something about it. They may not. I don't know. Anyway, I, I hope everybody is safe and uh, raring uh, <laughs> to listen to the show with me, to be with me on the show. And I want to thank you from, from the bottom of my heart for that. Um, it's beautiful in the city of Chicago, folks. It's beautiful. Well, it was uh, when we were out there earlier. It was like summer. And all of a sudden... <laughs> You know, this is Chicago weather. What can I tell you? I mean, we were out there walking and, you know, exercising and all this kind of thing. And suddenly it's sun was shining and suddenly it just, the, I mean, before our eyes, uh, we needed coats and jackets. You know, we were, we were out there in short sleeves and shorts and <laughs> and just like that, the weather changed on us right out here. So, oh, anyway, it, it's beautiful here. It, it's still cold. It's not quite spring-like yet, and uh, we have 172 degrees today, and we may not see another 72 for the next three months. Who knows? I mean, that's the way the, that's the, way the weather is. It's kind of wacky here. That's why I'm saying I hope it's be- a lot better than where you are. I- I've had people call in from Los Angeles, I mean, from California, from somewhere in California, and other places say, George, it's nice here. It's warm. And I do get jealous. <laughs> I really do get jealous sometimes. But um, we're still waiting on spring here in the city of Chicago. And I'm pretty sure some of the places around the United are still waiting on spring. And then there's places who are uh, springtime feels like summer. We only wish. <laughs> in, in Chicago, we only wish that. Anyway, um, again, once 
Welcome to the George Wanda Jr. Show, 6.03 p.m. straight up time. Daylight saving time is is, is cool. I mean, it, it is the bomb because it's it's bright. It's very bright, you know, this time. And I mean, like if it was December, it'd be total, totally dark. I love I love daylight saving savings time. I think it should be all year round. I, I don't I don't think the clocks should be messed with. OK, but that's not up to me. That's up to the guys and girls in Congress. And, and and in some cases, it's up to the governor of your state and your state legislature. You know, because a lot a lot of states in in America, they don't have a, a daylight savings time. I mean, they're they're just one time all year every year. It doesn't make any sense. I think one of the reasons why a lot of people want daylight saving time, it says they feel that it saves energy. Uh, I disagree. I don't think it saves anything. I think it's just a waste of time. It messes with your body chemistry. You lose a, a, an hour of sleep. You gain an hour of sleep or whatever. And it kind of just messes messes with your body chemistry. So I'm just I'm just uh, flabbergasted and just thrilled about daylight saving time because the sun the sun is out a little bit longer than it would be. And and you have you know whether it's cloudy or sunny you know the days last a lot longer and you're out uh, and about a lot longer you know all right you've been listening to the george wilder doing the show all right the latest things coming out of washington is a new book by james comey and basically james comey is saying a lot of things in the book i'm pretty sure that we already know so basically if you think about it this is the second book that has come out of saying a lot of negative things about Donald Trump and uh, the White House. You know, uh, the first book that I know of, that we know of, I mean, there's been a lot of books about Trump, believe me, but the most uh, the most famous of the books are Fire and Fury. And this new book by James Comey, the, F- the ex-FBI director that was fired by... Donald Trump. Donald Trump loves to fire people. I, th- I think he gets his rocks off firing people. I think he that gives them some sort of adrenaline or some sort of uh, 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 proof of power that he can fire people. I mean, he just loves doing it. And there's always those people who are quitting, leaving him, jumping off the ship like Paul Ryan. There's people who are just and I'm wondering, at all the people who are leaving and retiring from Congress, will Trump have anybody to work with? Will he have anybody? Everybody's leaving him. They don't want to work with him. They don't want to work for him because they know that uh, uh, Robert Mueller is coming. And he's coming with handcuffs and leg irons. And they don't want to be a part of that. And I don't blame them. And Donald Trump is ha- having a hard time hiring people. People don't want to work for him, and this is the truth. And people, <laughs> the people who are working for him, they may, <laughs> I mean, once they're let go, they may not be able to find another position because they they have to, you know, give a reference or uh, the last place that they've worked. And it, what are they going to say for Donald Trump, the White House? Donald Trump is hated, you know, <laughs> so much uh, in America that, uh, you know, an employer may not want to hire you if you worked under Donald Trump because Donald Trump is one of the worst presidents ever. Uh, 
Okay, let's get back to this new book. James Comey says Trump is untethered to the truth. We know that. We knew that. That's what I'm saying. He, he probably should have told us something we didn't know. If you don't know what untethered means, it just means that he's just a plain old liar. And But Comey being an upstanding guy, he's trying to say it in a statement, statements-like uh, fashion. Or, you know, he's trying to be really, really... <laughs> Uh, a statement a, a statement when saying this, if I said that correctly, untethered to the truth it means he's just a plain old pathological liar. And as I was trying to say, uh, Comey is saying it in a very, very nice way, trying to be a statesman about it. You know, sometimes when Donald Trump, you can't be a statesman. You know, you got to be down there in the mud and gut with him because that's the only way he understands <laughs> When you're down there in the mud. Anyway, talking about the book here, uh, former FBI director James Comey blasts Donald Trump as unethical. We know that. As untethered to the truth. We know he's a pathological liar. And causes leadership of the country ego-driven, of course. We know that. And about personal loyalty. We know about that in his forthcoming book. We know Donald Trump wants people uh, to work for him who are going to kiss his ass, uh, people who are uh, uh, going to cover up crime for him. We know that. That's what Donald Trump wants. He, do, he doesn't give a damn if you know what you're doing or not. I mean, look at all the people that he, that he has put into his cabinet for his cabinet, his cabinet post. He doesn't give a damn if they know anything about what they're doing. As long as they kiss his ass and uh, tell them tell him that they are loyal, that's all he wants. And to help him cover up and lie, he doesn't give a damn that they doesn't know about anything about the Department of Education or the Department of Energy or the Department of Homeland Security. As long as they kiss, uh, able to kiss his ass and tell him he's king, he's gonna hire them. That's it. But but one of the things I think Donald Trump uh, does when he hires cabinet uh, appointees is he's hiring them to cut, you know, uh, like food stamps, for instance. You know, they're talking about uh, the SNAP SNAP uh, program. Uh, they're talking about uh, allowing people, if people want to continue to get their SNAP benefits, their food stamps, uh, they have to uh, take drug tests or something to that effect drug test or find a job or something, you know, I, I believe it's finding a job. And then there's other people who say <laughs> drug test at eat, whether it's finding a job to, in order to be able to be eligible for food stamps or getting drug tests, that's a bunch of malarkey and baloney. What these folks want to do, they want to end the program period. They're finding, trying to find ways out to stop you from eating, stop your kids from eating, stop you from buying healthy food. They don't give a damn. They want to stop the program. They want to end the SNAP benefit program for poor people. And a lot of people think that people are the only people who get food. No, 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 no. That's wrong. There are some people, there are a lot of people with jobs actually also get food stamps. It may not be as many or, or as much, but they do get food stamps. So you don't have to be poor to get food stamps. All you got to do is be maybe low income. You don't have to be dirt poor to get food stamps. 
but still in all, the only reason why people who are working that uh, receive food stamps is because they don't make enough money to feed their children or, or something like that. And, and food stamps is like supplemental. Okay. But, and food stamps, I think the food stamp program been around a long time, but the Republicans never liked it. They they never liked it. They don't give a damn. They don't care if you eat. They want you to just die of starvation. So they want to cut the, uh, they're, they're talking about cutting a food stamp program. I'm, I don't know if they can, <laughs> I really don't know if they can do it this year with a midterm election coming up. They will be buried. And the next president or the next uh, Congress will reverse that decision or that law if it is implemented as the midterms creeps for creeps up. Okay, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. show. Okay, let's talk a little bit more about his book. Um, Comey reveals no de- details about his interactions with Trump and his own decision-making and handling of the Hillary Clinton email investigation before the 2016 election. A lot of us felt that Comey uh, dealt a bad hand to Hillary Clinton when uh, a week a week or two weeks before the election, he comes up with some something something about the emails that uh, may have derailed Hillary Clinton's um, presidency. You know, we uh, I remember that. I mean, we were all devastated that Comey would come up with something about emails uh, implicating Hillary Clinton and then later saying that he kind of made a mistake or he uh, jumped the gun on this. So um, he could be one of the reasons why Hillary Clinton lost the election. Okay, Comey cast Trump as a mafia boss. I've been saying that for the longest. Uh, on this show, I've been saying that for the longest that Trump seems like he's just uh, the godfather inside of the White House. He's Don the Khan inside the White House. He screams, he yells, he gets pissed off, he gets angry, he hollers at people, he fires people, he screams inside the White House. He demands loyalty. He demands that you kiss his ass. You, he demands that you cover up and lie for him. He doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know. He, and one of the things about Syria is a real uh, serious situation. But Donald Trump doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Um, you know, he doesn't, you know, but he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. He needs help from his generals. He, need, he needs a lot of help from experienced people who knows how to deal with situations like that. Donald Trump doesn't know how to deal with anything, but he's not going to tell you that. But we know that. Um, so we know that Donald Trump is a mafia boss in the White House, you know, like Al Capone or somebody or, or, or Sappy White or something. I mean, we, we know that Donald Trump is a goon. Okay. He cast Trump. Okay. uh, One more time. He cast Trump as a mafia boss like figure who sought to blur the line between law enforcement and politics and try to pressure him regarding his investigation into Russia election interference. 
Once again, this is James Comey saying obstruction of justice. Donald Trump obstructs justice, obstructs justice every time he opens his mouth. He obstructs justice every time he says he's thinking about or wanting to fire Bob Mueller because he's getting too close to locking him, to locking Trump up. He wants to fire Rosenstein because he won't fire Bob Mueller. And the senators are saying, you can't touch him. Don't bother them. Uh, uh, if you do, you're going to be in serious trouble. And then Trump is trying to blame the Democrats. It's not, it's not the Democrats that are doing him in. It's his own fellow Republicans that are doing him in. Bob Mueller is a Republican. Rod Rosenstein is a Republican. Want to see him out of that office and thinks he's unfit and thinks he's is covering up and and uh, has committed a crime. We all do. The book adheres closely to Comey's public testimony and within statements and written statements about his contacts with the president during the early days of the administration and his growing concern about the president's integrity. Trump has no integrity. It also includes striking personal jabs at Trump that appear likely to irritate the president. Oh, yeah, he's going to be pissed off at this book. It's like he was pissed off at uh, Fire and Fury, Michael Wolf's book, Fire and Fury. He's going to be pissed off at this one. You know, uh, and uh, I don't know if you, you I don't know if you remember or you recall, but he tried to stop that book from being published. And everybody was telling Trump, Trump, you can't stop. Stop any kind of a this is America. Not not Nazi Germany, but he he thought he could. And now he but I haven't heard anything about him saying that he's going to try to stop this James Comey book from coming out, even though excerpts of the books is already out here in the public. You know, so. Um, the book, uh, yeah, it, it's something else. It, it is something else. Yeah. I mean, this is the second book. And it's James Comey's book. And everybody that most most people that Trump fires uh, come back at him in some way. I mean, Rex Tillerson, the secretary of the state, called him a moron. Some people feel that Trump fired him because uh, Tillerson called him a moron. And he wants to fire Jeff Sessions because Jeff Sessions recused himself from the Russia investigation. He didn't want Jeff Sessions to do that. He needed Jeff Sessions to stay in, to, to, to stay involved in the Russia investigation to protect his ass. That's one of the things Trump Trump thinks the FBI is there to protect him, uh, to be loyal to him, and uh, and to protect him against his enemies, whether he broke the law or not. The FBI is not that Trump. That is not that. All right, Comey, okay, they're saying to hear that Comey is six foot eight. Wow. The six foot eight Comey describes Trump as shorter than he expected with a too long tie, <laughs> too long tie, bright white half moons under his eyes, and that he suggests he suggests came from tanning goggles or something. Who knows? He also says he made a conscious effort to check the president's hand size, saying it was smaller than mine, but 
but did not seem usually so. The book, A Higher Loyalty, that's the name of the book, is to be released next week. The Associated Press purchased a copy this week. Trump fired Comey in May of 2017, uh, setting off a scramble at the Justice Department that led to the appointment of Robert Mueller as special counsel. Overseeing the Russia investigation, Mueller probe has expanded to include whether Trump obstructed justice by firing Comey, an idea the president denies. Trump can deny everything, anything he wants. Trump doesn't deny. Trump lies. Trump has assumed Comey is a showboat and a liar. <laughs> uh, Trump is just describing himself, actually. He's a showboat and a liar. And we said that the moment this thing came out. And I'm also doing a book on, on Trump, on this administration. Um, uh I'm doing the book. I'm not doing. I'm not interviewing people for the book. I'm just uh, taking snippets of the news and put it, putting it together, and giving my opinion in some cases. But uh, yeah, I'm doing a book on Trump, the Trump administration, and because everybody is. I mean, if you're if you a nonfiction writer and you're following what's going on in Washington, because this is a movie. This this is like a, a, a movie of the week or, 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 or a Showtime series or something. This is crazy because there's always something coming out of it. Uh, this is going to be great for the writers who put this thing together and to um, make a movie or a series uh, out of this garbage that Trump has presented to, to the United States. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. Let's see if we can get a little bit more of of this, okay? Trump said that he fired Comey because of his handling of the FBI investigation into his into his Clinton email practices. Trump used the investigation as a cuddle to cuddled in the campaign and repeatedly said that Clinton should be jailed for using personal emails uh, system while serving as Secretary of State. Democrats, on the other hand, have accused Comey of politicizing the investigation, and Clinton herself has said it hurt her in the election pros- prospects. And I do, I think so too. I think it hurt her too, what Comey did uh, at the last minute uh, during the 2016 elections where Hillary was clearly the front runner, clearly. And then Comey came out of the blue uh, um, with some insinuations on, on Hillary's emails and suddenly he apologized and all of this stuff. Comey writes that he regrets, right, he regrets his approach and some of the wording he used in his uh, 2016 press conference in which he announced the decision not to prosecute Clinton. But he said he believes he did the right thing by going before cameras and making his statement, noting that the Justice Department had done so in other high-profile cases. Every person in of the investigation team on the investigation team, Comey writes, found that there was no prosecutable cause, prosecutable cause against Clinton, and that the FBI didn't find that she lied under its questioning. Okay, that's parts of the book. I don't want to read it all. Yes, yeah, it's, it's 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 just an excerpt from the book, you know. But it should be 
it should be an interesting book. I might even go purchase it. Uh, but, you know, I don't really need to read about something that I, that I already know. But if you want to go get check out the book, it's, it's fine. All right, you've been uh, listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. We will be right back. She's an attractive woman. I wouldn't mind seeing her again sometime. Be fine. Take the stands. The answer simple and direct. Silence. All rise. All persons having masks before this court, draw near and give your attention. The Honorable Francis Rayford presiding. <coughs> Be seated. So it's really very simple. We have a judge, a symbol of justice here. I should do know. Who was accused of raping and brutally beating this young girl right here. Now, we can do something about it. We can do it today, and we can do it together. Now, let's make this our goal line stand. of New York seized information from President Trump's personal attorney, Michael Cohen. It was reported that the referral to the U.S. Attorney's Office originated with Special Counsel Mueller, but the raid itself was under the direction of the U.S. Attorney's Office and New York FBI agents. We don't know the reason for Special Counsel Mueller's referral. We do know that any referral must have been signed off by Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein. Furthermore, the U.S. Attorney's Office in New York would have to be convinced that whatever information Mr. Mueller passed along was worth pursuing. And the U.S. Attorney would have to convince an independent magistrate judge, nonpartisan, that there was probable cause to believe that seizing information from Mr. Cohen would yield evidence of a crime. That's a serious and high standard that had to be met. I go through these details because it's important to understand that yesterday's events could only have been the result of a rigorous legal process with checks every step of the way and with a very high burden of proof. And yet, last night, President Trump said the FBI raid was a disgrace, part of a witch hunt an attack on our country, and mentioned that many people have encouraged him 
to fire Mr. Mueller. We'll see what happens, he concluded. Let's break this down. The president suggests that the latest events are part of a partisan conspiracy against him. I'd remind the president that the source of the referral, special counsel Mueller, is a lifelong Republican. The deputy attorney general who signed off on the referral, Rod Rosenstein, is a Republican appointed by President Trump. The attorney general, Jeff Sessions, a Republican appointed by President Trump. And the U.S. attorney for the Southern District in New York, which sought a search warrant based on that information, is a Republican appointed by President Trump. The agents in New York who carried out the seizure are on the direction of Christopher Wray, a Republican appointed by President Trump. So if President Trump believes this to be a partisan conspiracy, he once again ignores the fact that every major player is a Republican and all but the judges appointed by President Trump himself. All righty, that was Chuck Schumer. <laughs> All right, welcome back to the George Wilder Jr. Show. Let's go over here. You're on the George Wilder Jr. Show. Go right ahead. You're on, I think. Hello? Are we there? Let's see. I'm Keith Olbermann, and this is The Resistance. Trump has promised a news conference. You're on. You're on the George Wilder Jr. Show. Okay, folks, we're having some phone problems here. I don't know if it's on my end, but... Uh... Kate? Okay, we're having some problems. We'll be right back with... Kate Genovese on the George Wilder Jr. Show. Let's try this one. I think we have some. Do, 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 do. I'm Keith Olbermann, and this is The Resistance. Trump has promised a news conference Wednesday. I'll believe it when I see it. He has every reason to cancel it or simply ignore his promise. The trick worked with the news conference about his wife's reported immigration irregularities. The trick worked with the news conference he scheduled for December 15th to address his potential business conflicts of interest. The trick worked when he promised for last Tuesday or Wednesday revelations about Russia's hacking of the election. Of course, Trump has broken his promise. It's a Trump promise. But this news conference is designed as, and here is my favorite word again, chaff. To deflect from the now four confirmation hearings Trump and his Senate monkey Mitch McConnell have scheduled for the same day, including the confirmation of <laughs> monkey. All right, let's go back to the phones. All right, Hi. you're on the George Wilder hey, Jr. Show. Hey, George, this is Kate Genovese, um, the author of Hat Tricks from Heaven. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, yeah you were on. Uh, you were on. I saw you, your, your phone number on my board, and I tried to bring you in, but there was no answer. So I figured you'd call back. Well, anyway, every yeah, <laughs> everybody yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. Author Kate Genovese on the George Wilder Jr. Show, and she's going to be talking about. Uh, I have prison of addiction up here. Yeah. Um, well, the the title is my book is Hat Tricks 
from addiction. It's a story of my son. He was an athlete, and you know, it's kind of his his own prison of addiction. He he played hockey, he played football, and um, he had a lot of surgeries. And and what mm. happened was he 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 got addicted to these uh, these medications. So that's what yeah. I want to talk about tonight. Yeah, that's great because that's I was talking about that the other day with with another guest and I was basically saying that's what these drugs do to you. They get you addicted and they actually make your symptoms or your sickness a lot worse. You know, uh you know, I, I'm not advocating oh, yeah, not absolutely. taking I'm not advocating not taking a drug if you need to take it, but it's all it's all about profit it's all about um the 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 medical industry they really don't give a damn if you get better or not as long as you keep they keep writing those prescriptions for you that's money that's going in their pocket and those prescriptions uh you take too much of that medicine your body get addicted to it and then you can't leave the medicine alone and then you know it just wrecks your whole body you know and then you know what do the doctors do they give you another um um prescription to go get some more some more painkillers or whatever but um yeah go right ahead I mean, this is your show. go right ahead <laughs> yeah i mean it was it was just a terrible experience um yeah. you know he was a he was an athlete and he got um a scholarship in high school and then then in college and he he you know, he got addicted to Percocets and oxycodone, and you know the doctors just didn't care. They didn't care. They said, "Well, you know, you need to play hockey. You're you're a good player, and we want we want to get you back on the ice." And you know that 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 was so foreign to me. And I I talked to them about it. I said, "You know, my my son Gino is not like that." And I'm not like that. We we just wanted him to, you know, play hockey and, and, and excel or not excel, just play. And they said, well, you're kind of a uh, an, an addictive mother. You're an addictive mother. You're you're playing the game with with us, with him, with with the coaches. And um, you know, we just wanted him to keep playing. And I was the opposite. I, I just wanted him to play if he needed to and and stop when he had to. And it was sad because we didn't know. I mean, our family has a, has a history of addiction. And so we said to them, you know, my, my nephew died of um, an addiction and, and, they they just didn't seem to care. They just said, "Well, he wants to play. Let him play." And it was, yeah, that's it one was thing so about painful. an athlete. An ath- one thing about an athlete. There, an athlete is going to play. They they want to play. They're going to play through pain, through sickness, because they want to be out there on the field and play. You know, uh, right, right, however, exactly. Hmm, yeah. Despite what the doctors may say, play. despite. Yeah, he wanted to play, even though he knew he was sick, but he wanted to play. But we, but you guys knew that he probably should not be playing. 
Yeah, we we said, hey, Gino, you shouldn't, that's his name, you know, we called him that. Gino, you shouldn't be playing, you know, you're going to get addicted to this because you're, our family has an, a, a history of addiction. And he said, no, you know, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'll be okay. Just let, let me alone. And he, and as much as he said that, he he didn't want to be left alone. He wanted to play hockey, and and it was yeah. it was tormenting us. It was tormenting us, and yeah. so he kept playing. And then when he graduated from college, he, you know, stopped. He stopped using drugs, but then he kept. He all of a sudden kept using them again. He just said, "Well, what the heck." I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm an addict, and he kept using them and using them, and and then all of a sudden he got um, addicted to um, oxycodone and yeah. and heroin and you know all these drugs that were horrible for him, and he just was, didn't. Was he, he taking? He a, was addicted. Was he taking? A, was he taking the drugs for the pain or just? Just taking drugs. I think both. He was taking the the pain because he he needed to. He needed to for his mind, and uh, he just didn't care if he was addicted or not. He he he. It just made him feel good, and you know we were so sad. Like we just kept saying, yeah. "You got to stop, Gino." We love you. We love you so much. I can't tell so you. So this how is much what your book is about. Him. Yeah. 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 You know, we loved him so much, and we just said, "Please stop. Please stop, Gino. We just love you so much. Just stop taking it." And he he just kept continuing, and and our hearts were broken because he just didn't understand that we that love we. Him. My husband and I and his sister and his brother just, just were were so consumed by this addiction of his that we just wanted him to stop. That that that's all it yeah. was, and he wouldn't stop. He just wouldn't stop. And you, that's all. Yeah, it was. and you felt you had to write a book about this. Oh, I I think it was imperative. I mean, yeah, okay. I, I just felt like that, you know. Uh, all these people out there, all these um, athletes were doing the same thing. They were addicted and, and they just didn't want to stop themselves. So I, after Gino, you know, um, he, he had so many issues. He, <clears throat> excuse me, he um, got in trouble with the law. And that's one of the things to get in trouble with the law. And they would not say to him, "All right, we got to put you in a place. We have to put you in in, in a jail or something, something to help you." Mm-hmm. They just they just said, "All right, give us three hundred dollars and we'll put you somewhere." And that was horrible. What a horrible thing to do! Like we're going to put you Where in somewhere. Where is Gino now? Well, he died. Hmm. Yeah, he died. Sorry to he, hear that. He, okay. 
Yeah, I know. He had an addiction and and he he just died. He he um he he basically you know, killed himself. Well, I don't think he meant to. He just tried No, he didn't to probably stop. meant to, but uh yeah. 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 Yeah, he tried to stop. He tried to stop and then um the in 2016, in the May of 2016, he he just said, um, you know, I was going away for the weekend, and I said, please, Gino, don't do anything. Don't do anything to hurt yourself, please. And he said, oh, oh no, Mom, I won't. I won't. I, I, you know, I have a new job, and I'm, I'm, I'm just really going to work at it. And, you know, he was a smart kid. And yeah. he... He was on um, home arrest, and um, he went home with his dad that night because he was in home arrest, and his dad and him stayed up, and they watched um, some kind of sports, and um, his dad said to him, all right, I'm going to bed, and, you know, you go to bed, and blah, 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 and that's what happened, and uh, he left the light on downstairs in our house, which is never acceptable. We always shut the lights out. And he he said, um, I'm going to bed, Gina, so, you know, I'll see you in the morning. But my husband, Gary, woke up in the middle of the night, and he saw the lights on, and he went downstairs. And Gino, my son, was, um, he was dead. He was you know, passed out wow. in the in the den with his dog, with our dog, with his dog Frankie, and we he called. I guess he called the police and and the fire department, and and you know it was over. He, he just couldn't bring it back. Oh, and, sorry for your you loss. Know, he was such a one. Well, thank you so much. I mean, he was a wonderful mm-hmm. kid. He was funny. He was joyful. He he had so many friends, and he, you know, he has, he had girlfriends, men friends, and and he was uh, captain of his football team, his, his uh, hockey team, and it was devastating for absolutely everybody. Nobody could believe okay, what happened to him. Talk about your book. Okay, so. Yeah, so my book is called, like I said, Hat Tricks from Heaven, and it's the uh-huh. story of an athlete in his own prison of addiction. Mm-hmm. And what happened to him was um, we found out in high school, in his, his probably his junior year, that he was um, molested. He was molested by his uncle. And his his um english teacher found that out he, he had to write a, a story about what happened to him over that summer of his junior year and and so gino wrote a story about what happened uh to him but he wouldn't he wouldn't tell anybody he wouldn't say gee this is what happened he just kind of hit it and then he finally told us that that his uncle molested him and and that was the biggest problem 
I guess that was the biggest Kate, problem. Uh, Kate, how would this, yeah. how would your book help other people who have gone through the situation you have? Suppose they have kids similar to uh, Gino. How how would your book help them out with uh, dealing with their problem? Well, I think it would help out a whole lot because mm-hmm. they would realize that. You know, parents think it's all their fault. You know, a a kid is addicted and their kid's addicted and and they just say, oh, my God, this is my fault. Like, this is what I did to them. And and it wasn't like that at all. I mean, we tried everything. We we did everything on the earth for him. We said, Gina, we love you. This isn't you. You know, this is just part of an addiction. And so what we are trying to say, my husband and I, is that he has to, um, people have to say, this isn't my fault. This is this is an okay. addiction. It's, a, it's yeah, it's, a, a, you know, it's something that happens to you. It's, uh it, it, it's something that falls into your life. You don't mm-hmm. mean for it to happen. And yeah. uh, I think that is the main point. They just don't realize that they aren't responsible. Like, Gene, mm-hmm. like we weren't responsible. We were not responsible. Mm-hmm. Um, and not, neither was my son. It was just a whole lot of sadness and and an illness that couldn't be controlled. How long have, I don't mean to interrupt you, but how long have the book been out? How long has it been published? Um, well, it's been published since November of okay. um, 2017. And, okay. um, yeah. How I are had, people, I want to say, how are people reacting to it since then? How are people... Are people are people being taken with it, or are they? Oh you know, yeah, I mean, I mean, okay. we're getting a lot of response. I've okay. joined a lot of um, uh, groups that have uh, come to us and said, "Well, oh my gosh, we've been through this ourselves." And and for instance, mm-hmm. I'll just give you a for instance, like um, he. He was so sick. He just he didn't know how to handle his um, illness, and we would go and buy him drugs. I mean, we actually did because there was no beds for him in Massachusetts. There was no, yeah, no beds. We couldn't find something to help him, and we would buy drugs for him. And so people would would call us up or or email us or something and say, "Oh my God, I I mean I just thought I was the only one who did that," and and he and and they weren't, you know, we did it. Mm. We we just saw the sadness yeah. in his eyes and the and and the, and the the pain. So we yeah. did we did buy him drugs and we stopped. We realized that was wrong to do, so mm-hmm. we stopped doing that. Yeah. So uh, I mean, he was a great the kid. book, if if 
the book, if we wanted to come and buy it, where would we, where would we go to purchase the book? Where is it available? Uh, okay. Where is it available? So you can okay. get it. Yeah. Yeah. So you can okay. get it um, on my website, which is kategenovesebooks.com, or you can get it on um, Amazon or um, Barnes & Noble. Uh, there's a variety of places you can get it on. Just, you know, okay. you just go and order it. Yeah. Yeah, so okay. Oh, okay, that. that's great. I'm I'm uh we're going to go check it out here because it sounds very very uh um so it sounds like something that we should be reading and that we can probably learn from. And I want to suggest everybody out there who's listening to the show, uh if you find yourself in this type of uh, uh predicament with someone who's on drugs uh that you totally 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 love and you want to save their lives. Maybe you should get this book because it sounds like it. It is Absolutely. very very helpful. Yeah, very very helpful. Oh, he, he, so I'm he gonna go. He's a great kid. Yeah, he's a great kid. I bet he kid. was. I mean, you he sound like a great so mom. <laughs> I bet he was. Oh, thank you, you sound like a great mom. <laughs> I miss him. I miss him. You sure do. I mean, I mean, I just. Yeah. Yeah, I miss him. We all miss. We yeah. all miss him tremendously. Yeah. 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 We do. Okay. Uh, kid. Yeah, I'm going to what I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'll probably go read the book, purchase the book and I just might give you a book review on it. How you you have any reviews on it? If you have some, if you don't have any, I'll probably give you a review on it after I after I read it. Uh, I'm pretty sure it'll be a positive review. And um yeah. once the show is over, yeah, once the show is over and it's and it's uh, recorded in podcast, I want to send you a link to the show so you can put the link of you on the show on your website. People can come by and listen to you on this show on your website. Oh, that's awesome! People have already uh, mentioned to me I, I was going to be on this tonight. A lot of my friends, so yeah, on, on here, awesome. That would be, yeah. Well, yes, okay. because of my, um, yeah, yeah, they're, they're um, waiting to hear and, and uh, see it. And, and <laughs> well, if they're out it. there listening, yeah, if they're out there, make sure they go and buy your book, all right? Because it sounds like, do you plan on writing any more uh, books like this in the future? You, or, or, or is this your, just your final book? You're not going to write anymore? Or do you no, plan on writing No, I... I actually am I am going to write more because there's mm-hmm. a whole lot more to say. Um, yeah. I had some difficulties myself with uh, addiction and I want to um show that to people. I really would like to show that to people and and okay. and then it's not it's not a um it's nothing to be ashamed of. Nothing to be ashamed of. It's, it's not. I mean, it's something if, you, if you're to, addicted to learn from. Yeah, and if you're addicted to any kind of, uh, whether it's illegal drugs or illegal drugs, uh, you know, you should get some help. You know, and uh, Kate Genovese on the George Wilder. Yeah, Kate Genovese, uh, this on the George Wilder Jr. Show. If I'm pronouncing Genevieve. your last name correctly. <laughs> All right, you guys, make sure you go out there and get her book. And I want to thank you so much for being on the show. I'm going to send you that link so you can put it on your website of this show 
on your website so people can come by and listen. And I'm also going to give you a book. Oh, review. you're awesome. I want to thank you. Oh, <laughs> you are awesome. So I'm telling you, you are very, very awesome. All right. Thank you very much for being on the show. <laughs> Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Kate Genovese on the George Wilder Jr. Show. We will be right back. Here's Keith. I'm Keith Olbermann, and this is The Resistance. Trump has promised a news conference Wednesday. I'll believe it when I see it. He has every reason to cancel it or simply ignore his promise. The trick worked with the news conference about his wife's reported immigration irregularities. The trick worked with the news conference he scheduled for December 15th to address his potential business conflicts of interest. The trick worked when he promised for last Tuesday or Wednesday revelations about Russia's hacking of the election. Of course, Trump has broken his promise. It's a Trump promise. But this news conference is designed as, and here is my favorite word again, chaff, to deflect from the now four confirmation hearings Trump and his Senate monkey Mitch McConnell have scheduled for the same day, including the confirmation of a nominee who had not yet been vetted by the ethics office, DeVos at Education, including the confirmation of the man who defines the corporate globalism Trump himself specifically denounced as recently as December 1st, Secretary of State nominee Rex Tillerson, who's actually a resident of the nation of Exxon. To deflect from these real problems, Tillerson is like the John Hausman and Ned Beatty characters from the movies Rollerball and Network. Trump has to say something outrageous to start a new flimsy controversy at a news conference, to lie about somebody, to dig up a new scapegoat, to find a way to attack Hillary Clinton, or NBC, or me, or you. But Trump's handlers have a problem. His increasingly self-destructive statements about Russia and hacking and the Putin WikiLeaks scandal have suggested Trump is losing what little self-control he still has and that there is every reason to suppose that instead of providing chaff to protect Tillerson and the rest of this gang of pirates he has nominated, he will instead reveal something impeachable about himself. Again, like he did at his last news conference, if only the country had fully understood it at the time. There is a specific reason Trump has not held a news conference since the 27th of July last year. It is because on that day he inadvertently eliminated the need to prove that his campaign knew in advance that Russia was hacking American computers for the specific purpose of putting him in as its puppet in the White House. After that July 27th news conference, proof of that was no longer needed. We instead had solicitation of an identical crime. That was the day he asked Russia to hack American computers for him personally. He was asked about Russia and the hacking that had already been done. And instead, he answered about Russia and the hacking he would like to see. And if it is Russia, which is probably not, nobody knows who it is. But if it is Russia, it's really bad for a different reason. Because it shows how little respect they have for our country when they would hack into a major party and get everything. But it would be interesting to see, I, I will tell you this, Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. I think you will probably be rewarded mightily by our press. Let's see if that happens. And in the same news conference, the follow-up question from my pal Katie Turr, no less,
It's up to the president. Let the president talk to him. Look, here's the problem. Here's the problem, Katie. Katie, here's the problem. George Wilder Jr. Show has now arrived.
All I wanted was a much-deserved promotion, and he told me to get up on the desk and spread them. All the men in my office wrote down on a piece of paper the sexual favors that I could do for them. All I had asked for was an office with a window. I asked for his advice about how I could get a bill out of committee. He asked me if I brought my knee pads. Those are just a few of the horrific stories that I heard from women over the last year as I've been investigating workplace sexual harassment, and what I've found out. Is that it's an epidemic across the world. It's a horrifying reality for millions of women when all they want to do every day is go to work. Sexual harassment doesn't discriminate. You can wear a skirt, hospital scrubs, army fatigues. You can be young or old, married or single, black or white. You can be a Republican, a Democrat, or an Independent. I heard from so many women, police officers, members of our military, financial assistants, actors, engineers, lawyers, bankers, accountants, teachers, journalists. Sexual harassment, it turns out, is not about sex. It's about power. And about what somebody does to you to try and take away your power, and I'm here today to encourage you to know that you can take that power back. On July 6, 2016, I jumped off a cliff all by myself. It was the scariest moment of my life, an excruciating choice to make. I fell into an abyss all alone, not knowing what would be below. But then something miraculous started to happen. Thousands of women started reaching out to me to share their own stories of pain and agony and shame. They told me that I became their voice. They were voiceless. And suddenly, I realized that even in the 21st century, every woman still has a story. Like Joyce, a flight attendant supervisor whose boss in meetings every day would tell her about the porn that he'd watched the night before while drawing penises on his notepad, she went to complain. She was called crazy and fired. Like Joanne, Wall Street banker, her male colleagues would call her that vile c-word every day. She complained, labeled a troublemaker, never to do another Wall Street deal again. Like Elizabeth, an army officer. Her male subordinates would wave one-dollar bills in her face and say, "Dance for me." And when she went to complain to a major, he said, "What? Only one dollar? You're worth at least five or ten." After reading, replying to all, and crying over all of these emails, I realized I had so much work to do. Here are the startling facts. 
One in three women that we know of have been sexually harassed in the workplace. Seventy-one percent of those incidences never get reported. Why? Because when women come forward, they're still called liars and troublemakers and demeaned and trashed and demoted and blacklisted and fired. Reporting sexual harassment can be, in many cases, career-ending. Of all the women that reached out to me, almost none are still today working in their chosen profession, and that is outrageous. I too was silent in the beginning. It happened to me at the end of my year as Miss America, when I was meeting with a very high-ranking TV executive in New York City. I thought he was helping me throughout the day, making a lot of phone calls. We went to dinner, and in the back seat of a car, he suddenly lunged on top of me and stuck his tongue down my throat. I didn't realize that to get into the business, silly me. He also intended to get into my pants. And just a week later, when I was in Los Angeles, meeting with a high-ranking publicist, it happened again. Again in a car, and he took my neck in his hand, and he shoved my head so hard into his crotch I couldn't breathe. These are the events that suck the life out of all of your self-confidence. These are the events that, until recently, I didn't even call assault. And this is why we have so much work to do. After my years, Miss America, I continued to meet a lot of well-known people, including Donald Trump. When this picture was taken in 1988, nobody could have ever predicted where we'd be today. <laughs> Me fighting to end sexual harassment in the workplace. He. President of the United States, in spite of it, and shortly thereafter, I got my first gig in television news in Richmond, Virginia. Check out that confident smile with the bright pink jacket. Not so much the hair. <laughs> I was working so hard to prove that blondes have a lot of brains. But ironically, one of the first stories I covered was the Anita Hill hearings in Washington, D.C., and shortly thereafter. I too was sexually harassed in the workplace. I was covering a story in rural Virginia, and when we got back into the car, my cameraman started saying to me, wondering how much I had enjoyed when he touched my breasts when he put the microphone on me, and it went downhill from there. I was bracing myself against the passenger door. This was before cell phones. I was petrified. I actually envisioned myself rolling outside of that door as the car was going 50 miles per hour, like I'd seen in the movies, and wondering how much it would hurt. When the story about Harvey Weinstein came to light, one of the most well-known movie moguls in all of Hollywood, the allegations were horrific. But so many women came forward, and it made me realize what I had done meant something. He had such a lame excuse. 
He said he was a product of the 60s and 70s, and that that was the culture then. Yeah, that was the culture then, and unfortunately, it still is. Why? Because of all the myths that are still associated with sexual harassment. Women should just take another job and find another career. Yeah, right. Tell that to the single mom working two jobs, trying to make ends meet, who's also being sexually harassed. Women, they bring it on themselves by the clothes that we wear and the makeup that we put on. Yeah, I guess those hoodies that Uber engineers wear in Silicon Valley are just so provocative. <laughs> Women make it up. Yeah, because it's so fun and rewarding to be demeaned and taken down. I would know. Women bring these claims because they want to be famous and rich. Our own president said that. I bet Taylor Swift, one of the most well-known and richest singers in the world, didn't need more money or fame when she came forward with her groping case for one dollar. And I'm so glad she did. Breaking news: the untold story about women and sexual harassment in the workplace. Women just want a safe, welcoming, and harass-free environment. That's it. So, how do we go about getting our power back? I have three solutions. Number one, we need to turn bystanders and enablers into allies. Ninety-eight percent of United States corporations right now have sexual harassment training policies. Seventy percent have prevention programs. But still, overwhelmingly, bystanders and witnesses don't come forward. In 2016, the Harvard Business Review called it the bystander effect. And yet, remember 9/11. Millions of times we've heard, "If you see something, say something." Imagine how impactful that would be if we carried that through to bystanders in the workplace regarding sexual harassment. To recognize and interrupt these incidences. To confront the perpetrators to their face. To help and protect the victims. This is my shout out to men. We need you in this fight, and to women too, enablers, to allies. Number two, change the laws. How many of you out there know whether or not you have a forced arbitration clause in your employment contract? Not a lot of hands, and if you don't know, you should. And here's why. Time magazine calls it right there on the screen. The teeny tiny little print in contracts that keeps sexual harassment claims unheard. Here's what it is: forced arbitration takes away your Seventh Amendment right to an open jury process. It's secret. You don't get the same witnesses or depositions. In many cases, the company picks the arbitrator for you. There are no appeals, and only 20% of the time does the employee win. But again. It's secret, so nobody ever knows what happened to you. This is why I've been working so diligently on Capitol Hill in Washington D.C. to change the laws. And here's what I tell the senators: sexual harassment is apolitical. 
Before somebody harasses you, they don't ask you if you're a Republican or Democrat first. They just do it, and this is why we should all care. Number three, be fierce. It starts when we stand tall, and we build that self-confidence, and we stand up and we speak up, and we tell the world what happened to us. I know it's scary, but let's do it for our kids. Let's stop this for the next generations. I know that I did it for my children. They were paramount in my decision making about whether or not I would come forward. My beautiful children, my 12-year-old son Christian, my 14-year-old daughter Kaya, and boy, did I underestimate them. The first day of school last year happened to be the day my resolution was announced, and I was so anxious about what they would face. And my daughter came home from school, and she said, "Mommy, so many people asked me what happened to you over the summer." And then she looked at me in the eyes, and she said, "And mommy, I was so proud to say that you were my mom." And two weeks later, when she finally found the courage to stand up to two kids who'd been making her life miserable. She came home to me and she said, "Mommy, I found the courage to do it because I saw you do it." Ashley Judd, stupid fucking slut. You can't sue someone for calling them a cunt. If you can't handle the internet, fuck off, whore. I wish Ashley Judd would die a horrible death. She is the absolute worst. Ashley Judd, you're the reason women shouldn't vote. Twisted is such a bad movie. I don't even want to rape it. Whatever you do, don't tell Ashley Judge she'll die alone with a dried-out vagina. If I had to fuck an older woman, oh my God, I would fuck the shit out of Ashley Judd. That bitch is hot AF. The unforgivable shit I would do to her. Online misogyny is a global gender rights tragedy, and it is imperative that it ends. And women's voices and our allies' voices are constrained in ways that are personally, economically, professionally, and politically damaged. And when we curb abuse, we will expand freedom. I am a Kentucky basketball fan, so on a fine March day last year, I was doing one of the things I do best. I was cheering for my Wildcats. The daffodils were blooming, but the referees were not blowing the whistle when I was telling them to. <laughs> Funny, they're very friendly to me before the opening tip, but they really ignore me during the game. Three of my players were bleeding, so I did the next best thing. I tweeted. It is routine for me to be treated in the ways I've already described to you. It happens to me every single day on social media platforms such as Twitter and Facebook. 
Since I joined Twitter in 2011, misogyny and misogynists have amply demonstrated they will dog my every step. My spirituality, my faith, being a hillbilly, I can say that, you can't, all of it is fair game. And I have responded to this with various strategies. I've tried engaging people. This one guy was sending me hyper-sexual, nasty stuff, and there was a girl in his avatar, and I wrote him back and said, is that your daughter? I feel a lot of fear that you may think about and talk to women this way, and he surprised me by saying, you know what, you're right, I apologize. Sometimes people want to be held accountable. This one guy was musing to I don't know who, that maybe I was the definition of a cunt, I was married to a Scot for 14 years, so I said, cunt means many different things in different countries. But I'm pretty sure you epitomize the global standard of a dick. (laughs) I've tried to rise above it, I've tried to get in the trenches, but mostly I would scroll through these social media platforms with one eye partially closed, trying not to see it, but you can't make a cucumber out of a pickle. What is seen goes in, it's traumatic. And I was always secretly hoping in some part of me that what was being said to me and about me wasn't true. Because even I, an avowed, self-declared feminist who worships at the altar of Gloria, (laughs) internalized the patriarchy. This is really critical. Patriarchy is not boys and men. It is a system in which we all participate, including me. On that particular day, for some reason, that particular tweet after the basketball game triggered something called a cyber mob, this vitriolic, global outpouring of the most heinous hate speech, death threats, rape threats. And don't you know, when I was sitting at home alone in my nightgown, I got a phone call, and it was my beloved former husband, and he said on a voicemail, loved one, what is happening to you is not okay. And there was something about him taking a stand for me that night that allowed me to take a stand for myself, and I started to write. I started to write about sharing the fact that I'm a survivor of all forms of sexual abuse, including three rapes, and the hate speech I get in response to that. These are just some of the comments posted to news outlets. Being told I'm a snitch is really fun. Thank you, Jesus. May your grace and mercy shine. So I wrote this feminist op-ed. It is entitled, Forget Your Teen. It is your online gender violence toward girls and women that can kiss my righteous ass. (laughs) And I did that alone, and I published it alone, because my chief advisor said, please don't. The reign of retaliatory garbage that is inevitable, I fear for you. But I trust girls, and I trust women, and I trust our allies. It was published. It went viral. It proves that every single day, online misogyny is a phenomenon endured by us all, all over the world. And when it is intersectional, it is worse. Sexual orientation, gender identity, race, ethnicity, religion, you name it, it amplifies the violence endured by girls and women. And for our younger girls, it is worse. It's clearly traumatizing. Our mental health, our emotional well-being, 
are so gravely affected because the threat of violence is experienced neurobiologically as violence. The cortisol shoots up. The limbic system gets fired. We lose productivity at work. And let's talk about work. Our ability to work is constrained. Online searches of women applying for jobs reveal nude pictures of them, false allegations they have STDs, their addresses indicating that they are available for sex, with real examples of people showing up at this house for said sex. Our ability to go to school is impaired. 96% of all postings of sexual images in our young people. Girls, our girls, our boys, are two to three times more likely non-consensually to share images. And I want to say a word about revenge porn. Part of what came out of this tweet was my getting connected with allies and other activists who were fighting for a safe and free internet. We started something called the Speech Project, curbing abuse, expanding freedom, and that website provides a critical forum because there is no global legal thing to help us figure this out. But we do provide on that website a standardized list of definitions because it's hard to attack a behavior in the right way if we're not all sharing a definition of what that behavior is. And I learned that revenge porn. Is often dangerously misapplied. It is the non-consensual sharing of an image, used tactically to shame and humiliate a girl or woman, that attempts to pornography us. Our natural sexuality is—I don't know about yours—pretty gorgeous and wonderful. And my expressing it does not pornography make. So I have all these resources that I'm keenly aware so many people in the world do not. I was able to start the speech project with colleagues. I can often get a social media company's attention. I have a wonderful visit to Facebook HQ coming up. Hasn't helped the idiotic reporting standards yet. I actually pay someone to scrub my social media feeds. Attempting to spare my brain the daily iterations of the trauma of hate speech, and guess what? I get hate speech for that. Oh, you live in an echo chamber. Well, guess what? Having someone post a photograph of me with my mouth open, saying they can't wait to come on my face, I have a right to set that boundary. And this distinction between virtual and real is specious because guess what? That actually happened to me once when I was a child, and so that tweet brought up that trauma, and I had to do work on that. But you know what we do? We take all of this hate speech and we disaggregate it, and we code it, and we give that data so that we understand the intersectionality of it. You know, when I get porn, when it's about political affiliation, when it's about age, when it's about all of it. We're going to win this fight. There are a lot of solutions. Thank goodness. I'm going to offer just a few, and of course, I challenge you to create and contribute your own. Number one, we have to start with digital media literacy, and clearly, it must have a gendered lens. Kids, schools, caregivers, parents—it's essential. 
Two, shall we talk about our friends in tech? Said with dignity and respect, the sexism in your workplaces must end. Edge, the global standard for gender equality is the minimum standard and guess what, Silicon Valley, if L'Oreal in India, in the Philippines, in Brazil, and in Russia can do it, you can too. Enough excuses. Only when women have critical mass in every department at your companies, including building platforms from the ground up, will the conversations about priorities and solutions change. And more love for my friends in tech, profiteering off misogyny and video games must end. I'm so tired of hearing you talk to me at cocktail parties, like you did a couple weeks ago in Aspen, about how deplorable hashtag Gamergate was when you're still making billions of dollars off games that maim and dump women for sport. Basta, as the Italians would say. Enough. Our friends in law enforcement have much to do because we've seen that online violence is an extension of in-person violence. In our country, more girls and women have been murdered by their intimate partners than died on 9-11 and have died since in Afghanistan and Iraq combined. And it's not cool to say that, but it is true. We care so much geopolitically about what men are doing over there to women over there. In 2015, 72,828 women used intimate partner violence services in this country. That is not counting the girls and women and boys who needed them. Law enforcement must be empowered with up-to-date internet technology, the devices, and an understanding of these platforms, how they work. The police wanted to be helpful when Amanda Hess called about the death threat she was getting on Twitter, but they couldn't really when they said, what's Twitter? <laughs> Our legislators must write and pass astute legislation that reflects today's technology and our notions of free and hate speech. In New York recently, the law could not be applied to a perpetrator because the crimes must have been committed, even if it was anonymous, they must have been committed by telephone, in mail, Jesus by telegraph. <laughs> the language must be technologically neutral. So apparently, I've got a pretty bold voice. So let's talk about our friends, white men. You have a role to play and a choice to make. You can do something or you can do nothing. We're cool in this room, but when this goes out, everyone will say, oh my God, she's a reverse racist. That quote was said by a white man, Robert Morris, chairperson, Price Waterhouse Cooper. He asked me to include it in my talk. We need to grow support lines and help groups so victims can help each other when their lives and finances have been derailed. We must, as individuals, disrupt gender violence. As it is happening, 92% of young people, 29 and under, witness it. 72% of us have witnessed it. 
We must have the courage and urgency to practice stopping it as it is unfolding. And lastly, believe her. Believe her. This is fundamentally a problem of human interaction. And thus, I believe that human interaction is at the core of our healing. Trauma not transformed will be trauma transferred. Edith Wharton said the end is latent in the beginning, so we are going to end this talk replacing hate speech with love speech. Because I get lonely in this, but I know that we are allies. I recently learned about how gratitude and affirmations offset negative interactions. It takes five of those to offset one negative interaction. And gratitude in particular, free, available globally, anytime, anywhere, to anyone in any dialect. It fires the pregenual anterior singlet, a watershed part All of the right, brain Ashley, that floods it smart. with great good stuff. So I'm going to say awesome stuff about myself. I would like for you to reflect it back to me. It might sound something like this. I am a no, we don't need that. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Not yet, anyway. I don't care about your past. I just want a love to last.
write it. Comey, <laughs> Comey memoir claims Trump was obsessed with this disapproving PP tape. Now, I've been hearing so much about a PP tape. What the hell is a PP tape? I never delved into it. I didn't do any research on it, but it seemed to be something that's real. I thought it was something that people just threw around, but it has something to do with Donald Trump, a, a PP tape. Okay, there is no, this is a quote from Donald Trump. There is no way I would let people pee on each other around me. No way. <laughs> Trump allegedly told Comey, okay? But allegedly or, or not, this is awful. All right, President Donald Trump is just as fixated on, a, on the so-called P-tape allegations, P-P-tape allegations, as the rest of the world is. No, I don't know if that's true. I'm, I, I'm not fixated on this. Former FBI Director James Comey writes in his new memoir, according to the Washington Post and the uh, New York Post, according to Comey, uh, telling in a high, the book, the title of uh, uh, Comey's book uh, is A Higher Loyalty and Truth, Truth, Lies, and Leadership. <laughs> wow, that's a long title. Let me see if I can say it again. A Higher Loyalty, Truth, Lies, and Leadership. All of it directed at Donald Trump because he has no leadership qualities. Lies, he has a lot of, a lot of lies. Trump has, was obsessive with about, okay, Trump was obsessive about disproving the most salacious allegations in the infamous intelligence dossier about him. The PP tapes, right? <laughs> oh, well, there is, a, there is footage of him. <laughs> watching prostitutes urinate. It's Donald Trump. There's footage, there's video out there, according to this article, um, uh, where Trump is watching prostitutes urinate while in the same Moscow hotel suit, suite that the uh, Obamas had once stayed in. Wow. There is footage of him watching prostitutes urinate. Wow. So there so this PP tape thing is is uh what they're talking about. Would you want to see a, a a video or a tape of Donald Trump watching prostitutes pee? I don't think so. But it is just more garbage on top of garbage. Uh when it comes to Donald Trump, it, this is just awful. Um, I don't know if I'm going to buy uh, a James Comey uh, book because there is actually nothing in it that we don't already know. And if there is something in there that we don't know that we should know, uh, we would probably probably believe it because it's Donald Trump. So, um, I mean, I'm still trying to wrap my head around this PP tape here. And I, I I was hearing about it for months, but I never paid too much attention to it. But but this is uh, uh, salacious. I mean, this is what James, one of the things James Comey writes about in his book, um, A Higher Loyalty, Loyalty and Truth, Lies and Leadership. That's the title of the book. And it, I'm, I'm hearing that it will be out uh, this coming Monday or next Monday. 
and he's already James Comey is already going around trying to uh, uh, sell the book. You know, um, I'm pretty sure this is another book Donald Trump is going to try to discredit. He, he's going to call a bunch of lies, just because, just like every other book that comes out about him. You know that he doesn't like. He's going to try to call them lies, and and if the media uh, reports on it, he's going to call it call them fake fake media. Anytime, anytime he, the media prints something that he doesn't like, it's fake media, even if it's the truth. And a majority of the time, if not all the time, it's the truth. But he doesn't like it because it makes him look bad. The truth makes Donald Trump look bad. So he calls everything that makes him look bad. He tries to retaliate. And, and if it's the press, it's fake news. Fake news. But a lot of people forget that Donald Trump had a fake university. Trump University was a fake university. Donald Trump is a fake president. Russia elected him. Cambridge Analytical elected him. A few people who were disenchanted with Hillary elected him. A lot, a lot of those people, not all, a lot of those people are sorry, but it's too damn late. You know, and then there's people who are diehard Trump supporters. You know, I've I had some call this show a few times and I just let them speak. I let them speak and then I just get off the phone with them. You know, I, I let them speak and I then I cut them off in a in a respectful way. You know, I mean, just because you you're in love with Donald Trump doesn't mean that I have to treat you badly on this show. I will not do that but I will not share your views. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. In case anybody wants to know, well, he's on a little later tonight. Yeah, I am on a little later tonight. We usually end the show at 7.30 p.m. Central Time in the city of Chicago. But uh, I decided that, you know, if I get a, you know, get an inkling, I'll do an extra 30 minutes before we're off the air. I'm paying for it. I can do what I want, right? <laughs> All right, you've been listening to the George Wanda Jr. Show at 7.41 p.m. p.m. straight up in the city of Chicago. I know it may be a different time where you are, either an hour later or an hour earlier, you know. Uh, I, I, that's another thing I should I think. I think every state in the city of Chicago, not in the city of Chicago, but in America should be on the same wavelength when it comes to time, you know. But, you know. That will never happen, so let's move on. Okay, we'll be right back. We're going to do this, do a little bit of Keith Olbermann. I, I, I believe he's back. I believe Keith is back. I'm Keith Olbermann, and this on the air. is The Resistance. The White House continues to deny that the Attorney General's demand for the resignations of all 46 incumbent U.S. attorneys around the country and the subsequent optical disaster of the firing of New York's U.S. attorney, Preet Bharara, was instigated by a paranoid Sean Hannity TV segment demanding the immediate purge of everybody in the government who had worked for President Obama. The circumstantial evidence, however, supports the theory that it was Hannity's puppeteer hand up Trump's back. And that circumstantial evidence consists of the grim reality that we have elected President Emily Latella. You're too young. She was the Saturday Night Live little old lady character portrayed by the late great Gilda Radner, who came on to give ludicrous editorial replies during weekend updates such as, I'm here tonight to speak out against busting schoolchildren. What's all this fuss I keep hearing about saving Soviet jewelry? 
What's all this fuss I keep hearing about endangered feces? Then they would correct her, and she'd say, That's very different, and then pause and say, Never mind. 122 vicious prisoners released by the Obama administration from Gitmo have returned to the battlefield. Just another terrible decision. Even the Fox News segment that President Emily Latella got that from did not mess that up. 113 of the prisoners were actually released by the Bush administration. Never mind. But Trump was watching, not listening. As in February, seemingly talking about terrorism in Europe. You look at what's happening last night in Sweden. Sweden! Who would believe this? Sweden! They took in large numbers. That was so off that it prompted the closest thing Trump has yet made to an admission that he's ever screwed anything up. My statement as to what's happening in Sweden was in reference to a story that was broadcast on Fox News concerning immigrants in Sweden. Others have suggested that Trump is a real-life equivalent of the Peter Sellers character, Chauncey Gardner, in the extraordinary movie Being There. Sellers portrayed a gardener who lived his entire life on the grounds of a rich man's mansion and understood only two things, gardening and television. Discovered, he is mistaken for a political savant and is soon consulting the president who misunderstands the platitudes of TV that Sellers repeats as deep, subtle insight. But Chauncey Gardner knew his television. He could recite all the commercials. He was listening. Trump is just as much of a television addict with just as little connection to non-television reality, but while he is ruling this country based largely on what he sees on TV that reinforces what he already saw on TV or reinforces what he thinks he already saw on TV, he's not even paying attention to the TV. Since the inauguration, he has tweeted about a minimum of 11 news stories it seems fair to believe he saw on television and gotten them wrong in some way. Besides the Swedish and Gitmo stories, the Women's March protesters. Why didn't these people vote? The so-called carnage in Chicago. The so-called expert who could prove there were three million illegal votes, only the guy has never produced the evidence that he's promised. His conclusion that all the protesters in Berkeley were paid thugs, exaggerating the target of a terrorist attack in Paris from the Louvre Mall to the Louvre Museum. His announcement, although protests at the Republican town halls had been planned by liberals, that the first time Jeff Sessions ever met the Russian ambassador, it was arranged by Obama, about Arnold Schwarzenegger's departure from The Apprentice, and add to those the crazy Obama-tapped-my-phone story. He's President Emily Latella. Trump's first 279 non-deleted tweets as president are amazingly television-centric, there were two in which he congratulated himself on the TV ratings of his inauguration, ten promoting the broadcasts of TV interviews he has given, including the exact time the show would air. There are six that specifically criticize CNN, one that criticizes MSNBC, and 24 that refer imprecisely to media, fake news, fake media, or fake news media, including one about how, after he called them all that and called them the enemy of the American people, quote, it is amazing how rude they are. And the number of Trump tweets that include Fox graphics or images or congratulations to Fox News on its ratings or simple statements tagged at Fox and Friends as if he's grandpa yelling at the television, that's 12 tweets. This is a total of 54 tweets about TV or stuff he kind of saw on TV. 
I have invoked Saturday Night Live and the film being there, so why not one more? In the other great speech in the fantastic Patty Chayefsky movie Network, Peter Finch as Howard Beale reminds us what television really is. When the 12th largest company in the world controls the most awesome goddamn propaganda force in the whole godless world, who knows what shit will be peddled for truth on this network? So listen to me. Television is not the truth. We're in the boredom-killing business. We deal in illusions, man. None of it is true. But you people sit there, day after day, night after night, all ages, colors, creeds, we're all you know. You're beginning to believe the illusions we're spinning here. You're beginning to think the tube is reality and that your own lives are unreal. You do whatever the tube tells you. You dress like the tube. You eat like the tube. You raise your children like the tube. You even think like the tube. This is mass madness, you maniacs. In God's name, you people are the real thing. We are the illusions. Sound like anybody we know? So is there a solution to President Emily Latella? I mean, before he is impeached or imprisoned or institutionalized. Well, years ago, an unhappy CEO whose fourth largest company in the world owned my television network sat me down and threatened to take the network off the air. I don't mean figuratively. I mean, fire everybody at it, pay us our full contracts, and shut the channel off because a rival cable network was making up stories about how this CEO personally was selling material used to make weapons with which American servicemen were being killed. The man said his 80-something mother back in Cincinnati watched the rival network and kept calling him up to yell at him about his disloyalty, and he had had enough. So I said politely that I thought he was overreacting. And maybe there was a middle ground short of shuttering the network that was finally making him a reported $100 million a year in profit. And he said, like, what? And I offered him a few ideas, and then I decided to point out to him how crazy his idea was, and I said it was exactly this crazy. How old did you say your mother was again? I asked. 80-whatever, he answered. Well, if she's that old, she certainly wouldn't be able to put up much of a fight if you sent one of your guys to her house and pulled her cable connection out of the wall. The CEO got furious, then he laughed, and then we compromised. But now I'm thinking, maybe this is the solution with Trump. Bannon and maybe a couple of Trump's rent-a-cops go in and pull all the goddamn cable out of the White House before this bastard kills us all. Because unlike Emily Latella, when Trump is told he has misunderstood something he heard on TV, he does not say, never mind. Resist. Peace. All right. Thanks, Keith. That was great. That's, that's uh, the great Keith Olbermann. I, I mean, he's one of my uh, favorite people. And uh, I have him on the show uh, clip uh, every now and then on the show. And uh, he just cracks me up because – and also Anna Navarro. I think Anna Navarro is great to be on the show because I, I love people on the show who tells it like it is you know, because if you listen, if you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. show, you know that I try to be straightforward uh, whenever I'm talking about Trump or the White House or, or the garbage that he's getting us into. Uh, and Keith tells it like it is. I just love Keith. I'm, uh, I believe he's back on the air. I, I believe he's he has renewed his um, YouTube channel. He has a YouTube channel. It seems like everybody that I love has a YouTube channel you know i mean 
I have one too, but I I, um, I haven't been utilizing it as much as I should be. Um, I've had it for years. I just I've de- deleted a lot of uh, photographs and and some um, videos, but I do have a YouTube channel. I'm I'm going to start uh, uploading some videos and some photographs and uh, just like so many other people have. I mean, there's millions of people around the co- around the world with YouTube channels. I George, why, why don't you have one? Uh, it'll just be another thing that I, I want to do, and I'm going to try and do that because I, I just think it's wonderful. You may not have a television show, but uh, you may have a YouTube channel where there's millions and millions of people would will download your video, watch your video, give you feedback on it, just like the radio show. I think uh, it's great, and I think I'm going to do that. It'll be another uh, notch in my gun belt, probably. And um, it is 7.52, eight minutes before 8 o'clock in the city of Chicago, Central Standard Time. Um, This show is on from 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock, 7.30 at at some point, 7.30 p.m., but six, two hours, two hours. It's on for two hours. I don't know if I can do three hours. (laughs) I didn't know I can do two hours, but... But when you're having fun, time time goes by, especially when you have great guests like Kate Genovese on the show. She was beautiful. She was wonderful. She shared her story, and that's what the show is all about. If you have a, sh- a story to share, a book that you want to talk about, or or any any anything that you want to talk about that you think is interesting, that would uh, 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 that would uh, Pull the pull in the interest of the listeners. Uh, do it, do it. I mean, we're all for it, right? Right. <laughs> all right. You've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Blog Talk Radio, and uh, as I've said, Keith Olbermann is a great, great role model for me. I, I may be older than he is, but I'm not sure of that. Anyway, uh, I mean, he he may be back on his YouTube channel. Yeah, do you think? Yeah, he may be back. So I'm going to have to check that out, uh, his YouTube channel, and see if he's back. So I can come back and say, yeah, Keith is back.
you have you uh, been paying attention to Trump? He's um, there is people he have chosen for his cabinet, and there's people who he's trying to fill positions for. And these people are like all the other folks that he hires. They don't know what the hell they're doing. They just, as I've talked about earlier in the show, as long as they can kiss his ass and, you know, uh, shield him from prosecution and you lie for him and cover up for him. These are the type of people he hires, even if they don't know anything about their job. Bringing down the United States. Bringing down the United States. All right, you've been listening to the George Walter Jr. Show. Here we go again. Heaven helped the child who never had a home. Heaven helped the girl who walks the streets alone. Heaven help the roses if the bombs begin to fall. Heaven help the black man if he struggles one more day. Heaven help the white man if he turns back away. Heaven help the man who kicks the man who's a crawl.